Hi, welcome or welcome back to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. My name is Richard Lanford, and this Sunday, November 14th, is uh, getting close to uh, Advent, two weeks away. The sermon is called Coming Through, and the passages are from... 1 Samuel chapter 1, he, uh, some verses from Hebrews chapter 10, and Mark 13, 1 through 8. Peter Svensson is our lector today, and the message is about that. It's about coming through, and we have three examples in our scriptures, and hopefully we can find ourselves in some of those situations or in our own version of those kinds of situations where we need to come through. Before I uh, switch this over to Peter, please join me for a brief moment of prayer. Let us pray if you are able to join me. God of mercy, we give you thanks for this opportunity for me to bring and for others to listen to through the podcast this message of hope and strength. I ask that you bless those who listen and in their listening that they may draw closer to you and be built up so that they may in turn build up other people. In the name of Christ, we ask this. Amen. And now, Peter Svensson and our scriptures for today. The Old Testament reading is 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 4 through 20. We hear a story of a once barren woman who bears unusual offspring late in life as a special favor from God. Elizabeth in the New Testament is only one such parallel example, of which there are several in the Bible. The unusual birth was thought to be symbolic of the importance of the person later in life. At the start, we meet Elkanah, one of the priests of the Lord during the days of the judges, and his wives, Penina and Hannah. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord has closed her womb. So it went on, year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? <coughs> After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple to the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child. 
Then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house of Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. This ends the reading from 1 Samuel. Our epistle reading is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 11 through 25. One thing that has only been mentioned once in our introductions to the Hebrews lessons is that this letter was written to a community of Christians who badly needed encouragement to stick it out through persecution and hardship. Once more, the writer starts with a reference to the days of priests offering animal sacrifices and contrasts that with Jesus Christ has done, and then goes on from there with encouragement. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected all those all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. He also adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This ends the reading from Hebrews. Our worship continues with a musical meditation by Ben Westfall. The Gospel lesson is Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. This is the passage right after the one we heard last week of Jesus discussing the glory-loving, greedy scribes and the faithful widow who put in two copper coins. The temple which Jesus and the Twelve are leaving is the one built by Herod the Great. It was as yet unfinished. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings! Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. It will all be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places there will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Here ends the reading of the gospel and the, strict, the scriptures for this morning's service. Thanks be to God for this, God's holy word. Let me start with a question. What have you or your family come through? What are you? or your family coming through. Some of these things we come through can have a generations-long impact. For example, my parents' generation came through the Great Depression. And when your parents were children of the Depression, that can influence how you, or we in my generation, were raised. You were probably taught certain lessons by words or examples. Some persons come through surgery, chemo, combat. Coming through can be past tense, as in something you've achieved, like running the Chicago Marathon or doing a stint in prison. You came through it, 
I came through the ordination process. Moms usually come through their pregnancy and so on. Coming through to me indicates perseverance, hope, fortitude, and maybe the guiding, providing hand of God. We are coming through some hard times in this world, and I pray we do, in fact, come through the climate crisis. We are still coming through the virus plus Delta plus maybe a Delta variant struggle. But each text Peter read for us this morning also presents an individual or a group coming through a really hard situation. I pray that in the words he read from the good book, also equip you, me, and our church for coming through the challenges, disappointments, and questioning times of our lives. Consider the plight of Hannah. In a society and time where women who conceived and bore children were honored, she was barren, while her husband's other wife was not. It was probably felt as shame and the pain that comes with such a heavy word like that. And shame is a heavy word. That was just part of what was going on. We know that the other wife, Peninnah, was mean. Her rival, as Scripture called her, used to provoke her severely. To provoke her severely. To irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. It reminds me a little of when Hagar used to rip on Sarah in the book of Genesis because she had borne Abraham the son Ishmael, and Sarah, decades older we presume, had yet to bear the son God had promised them. Hagar was so annoying that Sarah demanded that her husband send them away, which, with God's blessing, he did. And God protected and provided for Hagar and Ishmael. All the same, for Hannah, these had to be annual trips of degradation and doubt, along with the daily reminder she probably got by seeing her rival with her children. Was she coming through? She was. Even though things were still not great in every other part, you see her husband Elkanah tried to be supportive by giving Hannah an extra portion of meat for, from the sacrifice. What? So she could be sad and eat more? Then he showed how he did not quite get her pain, though he did have empathy. When he said to her, why do you weep? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Why is your heart sad is a great question in and of itself. It's open to her grief. It's an opening to conversation. He sees her and acknowledges at least some of her pain. The problem is that it's followed by a question which kind of implies that you know she doesn't have a right to respond to her circumstances in a way that 
is authentic to her and that he should be the center of her happiness and well-being. Am I not worth more to you than ten sons? Elkanah asked. It's as if he makes Hannah's story about him when it's about her and her relationships that include him but are not exclusive to her spouse. She has to come through this along with her other stresses. As one pastor wrote, contemporary readers in faith communities around the world can identify with the sense of defeat that seems to be sanctioned, if not imposed, by God. Anyone who's ever experienced disappointment at a lost hope or unfulfilled promise has probably been encouraged to look on the bright side, like Elkanah so tried to encourage her. She does not give up. Hannah went back to the temple, which wasn't the Jerusalem temple. This is way before that. Worship was in Shiloh. Jerusalem hadn't been established yet. This is before the kings, remember? So, but she went back to what was then called the temple and, quote, presented herself before the Lord in deep prayer, probably not for the first time. I expect this is the one of many times. First Samuel reports that she was not distressed, deeply distressed, and prayed to Yahweh and wept bitterly. She made her vow, too, pledging that the son she prays to have, she will consecrate to God's service if her prayer was to be granted. She underwent the insult of Eli the priest, who thought she was drunk. Thank you very much, man of God. Then she, let him, she did let him into her pain, saying, after throwing back at him, she wasn't drunk, she says, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have been pouring out my pain, my, excuse me, my soul, before the Lord. I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. She convinces Eli of her integrity, changes his attitude, and gains his endorsement. The letdown of years of hope denied, like dreams deferred, does something to the spirit. Hannah knows that has happened to her, yet refuses to accept defeat. She appeals again to God. She prays and even seems to negotiate. Desperate circumstances lead to desperate prayers. And we witness her attempts to exact a change. She seeks answers from the only one she believes can provide them. She seeks answers from the only one she believes can provide them. Eli then blessed her and said words of reassurance regarding God granting her petition. She receives this as God's blessing, apparently taking it for granted that her prayer had been heard at last, based on what Eli said. She encountered spiritual support from a member of her community of faith, its leader, in fact, in this case. Her spirits were lifted. She went back and she ate and drank, and she was able, you know, her spirits were lifted, as the scripture says. And back in Ramah, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She came through. She reminds us that seeking answers is best done by seeking God, but God also speaks through other people. 
She also came through by not letting Peninnah's bullying deter her, by not pretending that her husband's words and deeds were sufficient, nor by picking any fights, except defending herself against Eli. She came through by fervent, tear-drenched prayers, and in some small way with help from her community of faith at Shiloh, to pray so much, to put up with so much, reveals a great faith which does not know the words, give up. She comes through, and later in the next chapter, praises God in the following verses. A prayer so grand, it's seen as a parallel, an early parallel, to the Magnificat by Mary. And the Lord also comes through for her. God honors not only her prayers, but what she has gone through in pursuit of a son, her journey, and her vow. God has a purpose for Samuel, who will grow up at Shiloh under Eli's wing and later become the great prophet, mediating Israel's desires for a king, the anointer of both Saul and David as rulers of Israel and Judah. Sometimes coming through features a group or a body of people, and not so much an individual. Jesus warned the disciples in Mark 13 when they asked him about the time, when will the time be when all these stones, and they were humongous stones, that will come, but will be, all be thrown down. And by response, at first, he warned them to resist following others who will come and claim to that they are Christ's return. They are false prophets. He said, be true to me, and do not give yourselves and your faith over to them. Quote, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, many, and say, I am he, and will lead many astray. That is but the beginning of the birth pangs. These followers had come through too. But they had to come through. Not just the wars and the rumors of wars and the kingdoms rising up against kingdoms and earthquakes and famines, though they will be part of life soon for them. They even more importantly had to come through for him by being able to tell the false from the true and to borrow from John's Gospel's imagery, know their master's voice. They had to stay in Christ's teaching, the word which staying will keep them in the truth, and the truth will set them free. No jumping ship, no trading Jesus in for sun, young moon, or family, no dropping your discipleship when you can make a lot more money by trading in your soul. Don't listen to those other voices that compete with mine. Many will come. Do not be led astray. Resist the temptation to follow another as if he, she, or they, or it were Christ. Keep following Jesus' unique call, even when, like with Simon Peter, shown by that stained glass window, it is a call to get out of the boat and walk toward Jesus during a storm on the sea. Come victoriously through a temptation to abandon Jesus for someone, for some ideology, for fitting in or new knowledge, or perhaps leaving Christ over disappointment 
Maybe because of scars wrought by churches unfamiliar with the radical reach of grace. Be aware, Jesus said. Be aware not to be led astray by another. Or, as Gandalf told Frodo and the dwarves when he had to leave them, stick to the path. Coming through that takes prayer, as it did for Hannah. Much more than for her, much more than for her, coming through calls for spiritual support from the church. We are in this together. When I preached on community earlier this year and different aspects of it and trying to discern God's will, and I honed in, you know, trying to figure out what God wants us to do, communities of faith, I said, have mentors, spiritual leaders who do not need ordination who can provide great help through their counsel and example. The disciples were together for a while and leaned on each other. So are we, St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, to lean on each other and share our gifts, including wisdom and insight. Coming through this kind of temptation faithfully also calls for discernment or judgment, the spirit of discernment. First John tells us, and I quote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come to us in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So that's one thing to use as a filter for discernment. Coming through these tests to not go astray brings us to our need for grace and knowledge and wisdom and faith and one another. The parable of the prodigal son indicates that the Lord is always watching and waiting in hopes of the return of those who left for someone or something else. You know, the father didn't wait for the son to come home. He saw him coming from a distance and ran to meet him. That indicates the father was watching and waiting. Lastly, we meet the followers of Jesus who were the first to read and hear the letter to the Hebrews. For them, coming through also meant, like for Hannah, but differently, for not giving up. As Peter said in his introduction to the reading, these Christians had already undergone persecution. The author was soon going to write the chapter that we call the Hall of Faith, chapter 11, which was because he lists all these heroes of the Jewish faith who in many cases suffered and died in service to and hoping for the fulfillment of the promise of God that was revealed in Christ later. These all made it, the writer says in chapter 12. You don't throw in the white towel either. You're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. These all made it, he says. Jesus has given up way too much for you, loves you way too much to say that following him is just too hard or too boring or too dangerous or scary. You are not alone. Do not surrender. When our lives of faith or our lives as a whole lead us to feel like giving up, 
or running away from where we know we down deep really belong. Let us cling to these words. We heard Peter say them. Let us hold fast, hold fast, to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another. There's penina, but in reverse. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not skip church. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Be together in worship and service and study and ministry if you physically can. And we understand many can't. That's why we have the hybrid service. An active community of faith is an invaluable aid for coming through. For coming through our fatigue, our fear, our weariness, our doubts, our wanting to quit, or not sure what's real anymore, and depression. Hold on, baby. Hold on as Christ holds on to you. There's no sin in asking questions. Nothing is worth more, and there's no shame in clinging. Nothing is worth more or is more everlasting. You and I, we get weary. We get and understand a lot of these situations that can be temptations or struggles that can last a long time. We understand that, but we know something. Or better, we know someone. We know the love of God. We know the crucified, dead Jesus. We also know that Jesus was raised from the dead and is living still. Death does not stop our God. Death does not stop our God. So let us have no fear when we have some fear about sticking it out. If Jesus came through the cross and death to rise again, well, by the powerful grace of God, not quitting you will come through too. And that's good news. Very good news. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Redheaded Preacher Podcast for November 14th. I hope you found today's message encouraging and strengthening, or at least thoughtful, because if my sermons make people think, that's uh, quite a compliment and an achievement in my eyes. With gratitude for your listening, next Sunday will be the 21st, and in our church's calendar, with its uh, German-Lutheran background, we mark our version of All Souls Day, we call it Totenfest, And that will have influence on the sermon. So just a heads up, and I hope you will tune in next week. Until then, may God bless your week. Bye.